0: LeBron James, Stephen A. Smith, and Ben Crump ignored the murder of Mike Hickman in front of his nine-year-old son and wife. Hickman's coaching peers stated on the record that former NFL Pro Bowler Akib Tlaib sparked the confrontation that led to Tlaib's brother to shoot Mike Hickman. According to the Woman Kings, alleged racial taunts in a Duke-BYU volleyball match are more worthy of discussion than the murder of a father, husband, and former college football player at a peewee football game. In what world? How? This is the racial Me Too movement, and they're expecting us to believe all women because women are allegedly incapable of exaggerating or lying for attention. Rachel Richardson, the Duke volleyball player, and Lessa Pamplin, her godmother, descended from the heavens to right the wrongs of white men. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Tuesday to you and yours. We made it through Monday. Uh, we're well into the grind of the week and boy do we have a fantastic show for you today. First time in studio here in Nashville. Royce White, round of applause please. Royce White is here in studio. I'm very happy and excited uh, about that. Uh, Shamika Michelle is gonna join us, Steve Kim's gonna join us. Uh, and so will Delano Squires. There's going to be an explosion of intelligence on this show. And so we're going to get right to it. And we're going to get into this fire starter. And this whole show today uh, is going to be a continuous fire. As we just move from topic to topic to topic. But uh, let's start out with a bang uh, over the weekend. The racial grievance industrial complex turned out its latest too good to be immediately believed victim of systemic and unapologetic white supremacy. Rachel Richardson, a 19-year-old volleyball player and student at Duke, is the next woman up in an assembly line that has a nasty habit of producing Justice Smollett and Bubba Wallace lemons. According to media racial grievance engineers, Richardson and her teammates endured match-long racial taunts while competing against Brigham Young University in Utah. High-profile racial grievance reviewers, such as LeBron James, Stephen A. Smith, and Ben Crump, scored Richardson's tail 100% fresh. James tweeted words of encouragement. Smith, on his ESPN TV show, conducted a long discussion about Richardson's plight. Crump, of course, sent a social media bat signal to Richardson's family that he would be more than happy to coordinate a financial shakedown of BYU and Duke, (laughs) if there's a chance of that. Uh, BYU administrators quickly groveled for forgiveness. The school's athletics director issued an apology, met with Richardson privately, and banned an unnamed male fan from attending BYU sporting events. For many, that's the end of the story. Racism has been identified and publicly rebuked. For others, it's just the beginning. I'm part of the latter group. This story is just too neat. It makes no sense. A YouTuber named Aiden Kearney pieced together some of the holes in this story. He published a long story on his blog questioning the narrative. It's worth reading, I suggest you do. What I found most interesting in the story is the role of a business called A Long Talk. It's an anti-racism counseling business that launched in Washington, D.C. two months after the death of St. George Floyd in Minneapolis. For a fee, A Long Talk team member will visit your school or business and teach people how to be anti-racist. Just days before Rachel Richardson endured racial taunts at BYU, a long talk team member counseled the duke volleyball team on unpacking your truth finding your voice and activating your activism according to a longtalk.com unpacking your truth means i will be able to make connections between our shared american history and our current reality finding your voice means I will be able to use the CPR protocol to challenge racist comments and beliefs. Activating your activism means I will understand the reality that creating a counterculture of anti-racism can only happen through collective, consistent, and courageous acts of identifying and interrupting racism. Let me translate these corporate words out. A long talk teaches black people how to argue and monetize the belief that everything happens in America today is directly related to the slavery that ended 160 years ago. A long talk teaches you how to hustle. Rachel Richardson is a quick study. In her racial grievance acceptance statement, she thanked the organization for schooling her, writing quote over Twitter, "Uh, my team and I were fortunate enough to go through a long talk which is an educational series on the roots of racism and how to be an activist in not just dealing with racism, but preventing and ending it. This helped to equip us to deal with the situation in a mature manner, rather than to react in a retaliatory manner. The entire match between BYU and Duke was televised. You can watch it on YouTube. BYU is nationally ranked. There were nearly 6,000 spectators at the match. Despite enduring two hours of verbal abuse, Richardson and her teammates never reacted. Richardson had an explanation. She wrote in her statement, although the heckling eventually took a mental toll on me, I refused to allow it to stop me from doing what I love to do and what I came to BYU to do, which was to play volleyball. I refuse to allow those racist bigots to feel any degree of satisfaction from thinking their comments had gotten to me. So I pushed through and finished the game. How uplifting, how inspiring. Aiden Kearney's story showed pictures of black BYU basketball players at the volleyball match cheering right next to the student section where the alleged racist was supposed to be endlessly shouting racial slurs. I've attended a lot of sporting events in my career as a sports journalist. Someone shouting repeated racial slurs would stand out. The only time it goes ignored is when it's a group of young black people calling each other the N-word. If the Duke players truly felt unsafe because of the harassment, I blame the Duke coaches for not immediately addressing the situation. This smells like an exaggeration or a hoax. Richardson's godmother, Lessa Pamplin, a Democrat politician in Texas, ignited much of this controversy. From her home in Texas, Pamplin tweeted that her goddaughter had been called a nigger every time she served and that a white male threatened her. According to Kearney's research, Pamplin has a very sordid history of making racist comments on Twitter. Pamplin has now made her Twitter feed private. None of this story makes sense. Richardson blamed the BYU staff for failing to swiftly protect her and her black teammates. Again, what about the Duke coaches? Richardson met privately with BYU's athletics director. Richardson's father publicly complained that the BYU volleyball coach didn't meet with Richardson. How is the BYU coach responsible for the behavior of a fan? Why are people who ignored the on-field murder of a peewee football coach in Dallas all finding their voice to speak out on behalf of a volleyball player who was taunted in Utah? Take a listen to uh, Stephen A. Smith. He's found his voice on Rachel Richardson.
1: I'm not trying to put a blemish on BYU. I'm saying, BYU, you did it! By allowing this to happen and not addressing it expeditiously, yeah. not addressing it with the level of of, of of quickness and speed that you should have addressed it with. So now instead of looking at that fool, that racist bastard that was spewing that nonsense towards Miss Rachel Richardson, instead of looking at You're that right. person, now we're right. looking at right. the right. university right. All we're looking at you. of a dereliction yep. of duty that you put forth because you couldn't find it in yourself to address it immediately. Mm -hmm. Now it, and now we ask the question, well why, what took you so long? Mm -hmm. What was the hesitancy about? Did you, were you fearful of a reprimand? Were you fearful of a backlash if you had decided as a human being to do the right thing and protect this young lady Mm -hmm. and to make sure she wasn't subjected to this for a longer period of time? What was going on? What was the hesitancy about? And since we are talking about BYU, now we are looking at every university of quote, every university, yep. We're looking at everybody.
0: I've seen a lot of great acting scenes. One of my all time favorites is in the movie Scarface, Al Pacino, it's Tony Montana. It's the whole dinner scene. Uh, There go the bad guy. You know, Al Pacino's walking out of the restaurant. You know, it's one of the greatest, you gotta watch it from the beginning when he starts talking to his wife and then by the time he leaves, and I think it's Manny or somebody's helping him out of the restaurant, it's one of the greatest scenes. Stephen A just topped it. That was a virtuoso uh, acting performance and it continued. I wanna play a second Stephen A clip where he's just so outraged about a volleyball player allegedly hearing racial taunts that Stephen A Smith hasn't heard, there's been no documented proof of it, but Stephen A's performance continued.
1: You're listening to brothers now and sisters who looked at one of our little sisters and said, who the hell do y'all think y'all are? What the hell do y'all think y'all doing? Now I wanna make sure that I'm clear. We're not castigating, we're we're not demonizing white people. We're not literally painting with a broad brush. There's a lot of God-fearing, decent white folks out there. And for those of you who are white, who would never do something like this, we're not talking about you. So don't personalize it and come to the defense because you're white and three black men on TV and we're talking about what happened to our little sister here. Don't think we're talking about you because that's a mistake folks in white America make. They make the mistake of thinking you're talking about them when you're talking about some fool who shares their ethnicity, their pigmentation, their culture, and you're saying that's all y'all. That's not what we're saying. So don't embrace it that way. If we ain't talking, if you want to do something like that and we ain't talking about you, this ain't applicable. I'm not talking to you. to you. But for those yep. who would do that, who think like that and have no problem with how that person was acting towards Rachel Richardson, check yourself.
0: It's unbelievable. LeBron James, Stephen A. Smith, and Ben Crump ignored the murder of Mike Hickman in front of his nine-year-old son and wife. Hickman's coaching peers stated on the record that former NFL Pro Bowler Akib Tlaib sparked the confrontation that led to Tlaib's brother shooting Mike Hickman. Alleged racial taunts at a volleyball match are more worthy of discussion than the murder of a father, husband, and former college football player at a peewee football game. In what world? How? This is the racial Me Too movement, and they're expecting us to believe all women because women are allegedly incapable of exaggerating or lying for attention. Rachel Richardson and Lessa Pamplin descended from the heavens to right the wrongs of white men. They're descendants from the great Amazon warrior tribe of Dahomey, Africa. They're modern day woman kings the spiritual sisters of Daenerys Targaryen and Arya Stark of the Game of Thrones. 60 years ago, the Racial Grievance Industrial Complex married the Feminist Grievance Industrial Complex. Rachel Richardson is their love child. That's my fire. Racism, feminism come together. Wonder twin powers connect. Stephen A. Smith, LeBron James see an opportunity to send bat signals to all potential volleyball players recently graduated or otherwise that they're on their team. Look, volleyball players are cold. I mean, if anybody's smart, if you're a young athlete out there, marry you a volleyball player. They're tall. You're going to have tall children. They look good. They produce, I think... uh, LeVar Ball's wife, volleyball player. Look at these sons she's got. That that when, when I do watch Stephen A go through all them histronics and all that, he's trying to shout out to all these 25 to 40-year-old former volleyball players. I got your back, baby girl. Look how I'm caping up for this. And maybe he's trying to shout out to Rachel Richardson. She's 19. I just watched House of Dragons. Maybe he's, you know, like back in the middle <laughs> middle ages and he wants a young. It's all a bunch of BS, man. It's it's this really really bothers me. I, I I find it hard to believe that in 2022, uh, on a Christian or religious religious college campus, someone is shouting the N word for two hours and no one reacts. No one does anything. I I I look. Are, are there hypocrites of religious faith? Absolutely. But you're not gonna get 6,000 religious people in a room and have some idiot that, oh, you know what, this is the place where I wanna shout the N word. And, and all these six foot eight black basketball players are just right over here, can hear me, and I'm gonna, you just can't get me to buy it. Uh, Royce, I'll let you go first, and then Shamika Michelle is joining us from uh, North Carolina as well. Uh,
2: your reaction, to any and all of this. Well, first, I have so much disgust for Stephen A. Smith that anything I say is biased, <laughs> admittedly. <laughs> um, you know that 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 bit that he did around this entire issue is so intellectually, culturally, politically dishonest. It's hard for me to watch it. I'm, I actually, I got shivers. I'm, I'm actually that angry about it because, you know, people like Stephen A. Smith are exactly how we got to where we are in this country, for the black community, but for American citizens of all. And, and as a black man, this whole story offends me, really, because this isn't a real story. Like, you know, impossible, impossible that that a... Person would stand up and yell the n-word continuously for two hours, and somebody not do something about it. Uh, and even you heard in the motif where it hurt with her letter that she wrote, you know, I don't want to give that person the, the the satisfaction of letting them know they got to me. That's the type of passive, passive uh, uh, American citizenship that the liberal establishment loves. No, if it's me dispense with the tradition and the, and the, the, um, the, the customs of, of a sports event, dispense with the, the game, you couldn't call me the N-word in front of 6,000 people and me not address you right there. And in this, in this way, you know, I kind of respect around our test, going up into the stands at Malice in the Palace and saying, hey, look, there are no immutable lines. You pay your ticket, you come to the arena, you're in the game. And if you decide to attack a player or say something, even though I don't think this actually went the way she said, you're in the game. Let's, let's get to it. You gotta back that up. That's American citizenship. That's, that's the rustic individualist. That's taking your freedom and your citizenship into your own hands and, 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 and depending on yourself to secure your freedom. Um, but, but aside from that, Jason, this is not a story. This country is going to hell in a handbasket and Stephen A. Smith knows it. Those other two uh, uh, black men that, that were, you know, co-hosting that segment, they know it. The people at Duke University know it. The people at BYU know it. The mainstream media and all of the community activist groups on the left, long talk, they know it. They all know that this country is going to hell in a handbasket. We're losing this country every day. Currency's gonna collapse. Food supply is, is, is in danger. We got the threat of a nuclear war there between Russia and Ukraine. Global governance seeks to take our citizenship every day. They all know it. And for him to put on that kind of display about this issue is another example of the black identity being used to distract American citizens from the things that matter most, and they're gonna use black people to do it. And there's nothing more despicable, disgusting, betrayal than, than, than that, that I could imagine. I don't want to put words in
0: your mouth, but part of what I'm hearing you say is, and, and so this is what I, my takeaway, this is what I believe. Even if true, if she got called the N-word at a volleyball match, that's something for her and her teammates and a few little people to handle. It's not a national story. Absolutely. There are too many things going on far more important than, oh, I got called a name at a volleyball match. Because if my life shut down, you, you know, the governor of Utah has reached out to this woman, <laughs> of course, the governor of Utah, of course, the, the athletics director put on a big apology the next day in front of the crowd. All this because someone got called a name. I, I, I just again, when I just sit around and think of like, what world are we creating for these kids where the world must shut down because someone was called a name. That was just not my childhood. Shamika, you've got three daughters. Can't wait to uh, hear your take on this. Uh, what, well, Royce has kind of covered the Stephen A. Smith aspect of it. What, what do you think of Rachel Richardson and her godmother's role in all of this?
3: No, I live... We can't hear you? You Go can't ahead. hear
0: me? Yeah, I got oh. you. Yeah, I got okay.
3: you. I called BS the moment that I saw this. I live in Durham, so I actually, when I saw that it was trending, Duke was trending, I clicked on it to see what was going on. I read what the godmother had to say, and then I started looking into the background of this godmother. As soon as I saw this, I'm not quite out the closet pants suit on one of her campaigns. I felt like it was BS. This is Duke's 2022 version of Crystal Mangum. I just don't believe that it happened. It doesn't make sense. And too many people are trying to capitalize off this 15 minutes of fame. I even saw what her father had to say. This whole, I grew up, You know, I went to school during desegregation. I know how hard it is to be a black in the South. So you knows how hard it is. You knows it's hard to be a black in the South. Yet you sent your black daughter to a predominantly white institution in the South. Roll a thunder, hear my cry. What? (laughs) So Auntie didn't need a volleyball player. North Carolina Central University didn't need a volleyball player. You had to send that child to Duke. I just think it's it's BS. I don't believe it. And that's, that's my first gripe, Jason. I'm gonna take a breath before I go into my second one. I just don't think these people are being honest. I really don't.
0: Okay, you're on such a roll. <laughs> I, I, I want you to continue. I'm I'm giving you a minute here or another 10 seconds to collect your thoughts, but what's your second gripe?
3: My second gripe, Jason, is the same that you said in your, your monologue. Why didn't somebody say something while they were there? Yes, I understand people will say, well, kids should be able to go wherever they wanna go i agree but i would not send my child into the lion's den unless his name was daniel for i know for a fact Duke is a liberal school. We're talking about the the she-hers, he-hims, they-thems, the I wear Black Lives Matter on my shirt, the fist in the bio, the the pride flag in the bio. We're talking about those type of kids. So you're telling me that you are at this volleyball game being heckled and none of these kids none of these coaches decided that they were going to say something for one i know that is not a high frequency word that only black folk can hear somebody else heard this and nobody stepped up to say anything none of your teammates said listen and and mind you we're talking about uh white liberal female athletes most of them don't like balls anyway so, so none of them put that volleyball down to say not another uh, serve, set, or spike is coming across this net until we feel safe and secure. We're talking about students who claim that their ancestors marched with Dr. King, students who whose great-great-great-grandparents surely had a safe place on the Underground Railroad. Y'all didn't step in to help this young girl during the game? I don't even want to talk about BYU because they keep pointing the finger at BYU. I'm talking about Duke, the staff and coaches that I shop with in Whole Foods, the kids that I stand in line with. Uh, at Panera Bread on 9th Street. None of y'all stepped in. Nobody had anything to say during the game. Somebody's lying, Jason. Somebody is definitely lying. This is not a story. It shouldn't be, but it is. And I'm the one to say that they're lying. Cancel me, I don't care. I live in the city with these people. I know who they are. I know that this is a, a university Four of people studying vaginal uh, uh, glass staining. They're liberal and they, they're, they claim to be the friends of black people. Y'all the friends of black people, but didn't step in? Something not sounding right to me.
4: I, I,
0: this story is so, but, but I think with, with the mainstream media and LeBron and, and Stephen A., what they're counting on is, well, this is a 19-year-old girl. No one's going to question. This is a 19-year-old black girl. Anybody that questions this story, we're going to call them racist. And so, but again, I'm looking at every single journalistic media outlet is publishing her accusations as if they're facts and that there's no other side to this story. And there's some blogger in Massachusetts who's getting to the bottom of this better than anybody in North Carolina and and all the scared people in Utah th- this thing feels orchestrated not organic this happening in Utah again this feels orchestrated not organic intentional and, and particularly for like LeBron James is putting out a tweet man Le- uh, uh, Stephen wow. a is doing 15 minutes of this on wow. TV oh, oh oh really and I the, the, a, a wee football coach who played Division I college football, Akeem Tlaib is involved in some capacity and he say, LeBron never tweeted about it, Stephen A ain't talked about it Mike Hickman can get murdered at a football game, nothing a child hears a word that she hears every other word out of the rap music she listens to and Let's stop the presses and and let's scold white people. And this is a national crisis.
2: This this feels like an organized plot. Yeah. Well, you know, they're all in on it together. They're all in on it. The bronze the Stephen A's of the world, ESPN, uh, Sports Illustrated, The, the View, uh, Hollywood. They're all in on it together. And and anybody who doesn't understand. The, the scope and the, the, the magnitude of the mainstream establishment media doesn't understand how they've been they've been deceived and they're the, the generations have been deceived uh, these are these are manufactured grievances to keep people's focus away from the fundamental issues in this country the fundamental issues that that really have rightful grievances to to hash out this is all just wwe politics for for the layperson. Who, who gets their politics with their french fries. I've said it again, I'll say it before. And nobody does that more than your local college athlete. You know, I mean, you're, 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 you know your college athlete. They come into college, you know, they're, they're still finding themselves, they're still wrestling with their own identity anyway. Uh, they're, they're getting new information about different parts of, of American history that they never knew about before, and formulating these opinions. Then they got all these seminar people come in and give these presentations, long talk, uh, uh, the, the vagina, vagina monologues, and whatever else. And uh, and and all of a sudden, you know, you have a, you have a shiny new beacon that you can use to drive home a narrative that you've been working on for 60 years. And and these, um, you know, let's just say. It, it, they, it, it's true, which I don't believe is true. And I think Shamika did a great job of just, you know, explaining how, how the culture is there in Durham. But let's just say it's true. Why does LeBron have the time to address this issue, but he hasn't made a peep about the Uyghurs? He won't speak on the CCP at all. Stephen A. Smith is doing an entire monologue, and he, he carves out space to address what the hypothetical white viewer May be thinking, because three black men are having a discussion about racism, but you work at ESPN. I mean, which white people are you talking about? You work for the white, you work for the white man, and are you trying to get you know, some, some, uh, some sympathy from us because you undercut the black man who fought the vaccine narrative? Because there was a time here where a lot of people were questioning Stephen A's loyalty to the black, pro-black movement or the black community because he was so willing to cut down Steve uh, Kyrie, and he's always willing to cut down black athletes, let's just be honest. So him cucking for this white, liberal, LGBTQ feminist movement, I mean, these people should not be able to survive this on a black Twitter, online, or or anywhere else. But what we got to ask ourselves, the people on black Twitter, the people who say they're pro-black in the streets, in the grassroots movement, are they really? I have questions about that.
0: Shamika. some people are sitting there saying, well, are you saying this 19-year-old girl, what's in it for her? Why would she be a part of this if not true? Well, first of all, her godmother started this over Twitter. She was the first to put out these allegations. And so if she does, if the, if the 19-year-old child doesn't back her up, she's putting her godmother in a bad spot who's running for political office. But also just the motivation is just these kids. There's so much attention associated with being a victim. There's so much value in being a victim. Her motivation is no different than Jussie Smollett's motivation. Just the attention and that the governor of Utah reached out to her. LeBron James is tweeting about her. Stephen A. Smith is flirting with her on national TV. Her motivation is potentially just attention.
3: Definitely, and so many of these kids have this victim mentality. I've seen kids with thousand dollar phones claiming that they are so oppressed. So I feel like it would be easy to rope her into this. And what I'm sick of is I'm sick of us propping women up to be the heroes. Here it is, we it took her godmother to stand up and say something, and then she to come out in her bravery to to back her godmother up. And then you have these three men bowing down to the feet of women because here it is, black women gotta come in and and save us once again. I'm so sick of this narrative, Jason, it just really is starting to piss me off. And it bothers me that we can see things happening in our culture and our community and black men don't even think they're the solution. That speaks volumes, and it's so sad that they keep looking to somebody else to save us. They keep looking at the white man to save us and looking at the black woman to save us. Black man, you don't think highly of yourself. You don't think you got the juice to change things that are going downhill. It bothers me that we keep propping up women.
0: Well, and the reason why, and I didn't do it until the end of this monologue, but this whole universal messaging going on in pop culture and being reinforced by Hollywood, which is in control of popular culture, and, and it's all a prelude. The reason I included this whole Woman King deal is because that movie's coming out. and It's coming off, off the heels of the Black Panther, and it's in that same... Because I didn't like the Black Panther movie because I thought the Black Panther, if you go rewatch it, all he does is what black women tell him to do. If you watch that movie, it's a movie about black women controlling a black man and telling him exactly what to do, and he's the hero. Mm. Now, they've, that was just uh, the appetizer for this Woman King movie that, again, I didn't know it was coming, but I knew something like this was coming. They're always trying to send the message to us, the black woman is your king. Yep. And now they've made up this fantasy movie that's based on a true story about these Amazon warriors that took on the French, the woman king, and it'll be out in mid-September. The hype has already started. And, and it's a fantasy movie because they totally distorts the facts that the French, one, slaughtered these Amazon w- women and that these uh, righteous Amazon women and this whole tribe in Dahomey They were slave catchers and slave sellers. Mm. That was their industry. Mm. (laughs) That was their industry. Catching other tribes and selling them. That's why the French were there. And it took Europeans to stop them from selling slaves and (laughs) ending, but none of that's gonna be covered in the movie. They're gonna sell us this myth that Viola Davis and all these other uh, woman kings, uh, had this righteous fight with the French and just none of it's true but the messaging is going to get it was very subtle in the Black Panther now that's about to be full steam ahead with this woman King uh, fantasy they got coming out that black man obey the black woman and you will achieve you will have success your problems will be solved and fixed and, and again, I don't say this with animus towards black women, but it's just not biblically sound what you're talking about. It's not factually sound what you're talking about. It's, it's not morally sound what you're talking about. It's illogical. Yeah. And if it wasn't for all again, I just wish if, if I had one prayer to God, <laughs> please God, and, and I hate I, I don't want to play. I don't want to joke with God. I wish he'd take all this technology away mm. Take it all away and just walk us back to the 15 and 1600s and Then watch how women would be like, okay, oh yeah, we need you go out and <laughs> Go out and do some hunting build me a house protect me from these bears and snakes and other men and blah blah blah, but it's all these technological advances that have convinced women that they don't need us what do you mean i got a vibrator i don't need <laughs> put some batteries in this vibrator and i'm good yeah. and, and i got this and if i need some eat, i can just punch up door you ain't got to go out and hunt and do nothing
4: yeah
0: i got a vibrator and door dash what more do i need <laughs> it's, Shamika, uh i'm gonna give you uh Fi- not, not fi- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna circle back to you. I'm gonna give Roy's final say. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add?
3: Well, I would like to add, first of all, vibrators don't have muscles. They don't have those biceps, those thighs. So a, a vibrator can never take the place of a man. Let's start there. And I want to add to your prayer, Jason, that I wish these dark-skinned women would stop jumping in these roles acting so masculine like we're the ones that are so strong and we don't need a man. Because let me tell you, this good old milk chocolate right here, I am soft, I melt, I need a man. So I wish people like Viola Davis and all of the dark... Stop playing those. You complain that people don't see you as beautiful. It's because you are so uh, ready to hop in these masculine roles and act like men. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the nice word. I was getting ready to say the N word. Y'all want to act like men. That's why you can't find one because you, you want to be one. And they see too much masculinity in you. Soften up.
2: Royce, I'll give you the final sir. And and they're starting to, you know, to be built like SpongeBob too. You know, you see a lot of these women that are on this, you know, women-only kick. They built a little funny. You know, <laughs> they they starting to be built a little funny. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think this is the classic crisis of of femininity, and a failure of masculinity and you know you can go back to a biblical story like adam and eve or many of the stories throughout the bible you could go look at the willie lynch address which many people want to say is not is not historically accurate um but but the the reason to empower the woman and put the woman center stage is very very simple strategically politically socially women are more agreeable they're much slower to violence listen to her listen to her letter about this incident I just wanted to make sure that afterward we could get everybody together, the powers that be, and make sure that this person is held accountable socially. That's the entire idea behind cancel culture and censorship, is that there's not any physical confrontation, there's not any physical violence that ever needs to occur. We can just get together and by, by, by uh, the rule of, of uh, majority. Make people bow and surrender and change their, their morality and their and their soul or or what they believe is right and wrong, and and that's the that's the precursor for tyranny. And this entire country, our government, in this country, but the global governance that stands at the front door of America has that feminine crisis to it. They don't believe that there are righteous and divine wars that there are physical confrontations that have to happen, like men used to you know used to be a man insult you. You have a duel, 10 paces. It's got to happen sometimes, right? And, 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 then, and then the society is regulated from there. Uh, we've lost that. We don't, want any, we, don't, we, we don't want any real risk or any real danger in order to achieve freedom. And this is why Thomas Jefferson or Malcolm X were so profound in saying that the price of freedom is death. If you're too afraid of death, you can never be free. And so all these women who claim that this feminist movement is in pursuit of women to be free or to achieve equality or, or empowerment, it's not. They actually just want a hierarchy of women who are, who are the best at um, reputation tarnishment. That's what they're really doing. The woman who's the best at reputation tarnishment and can leverage her P- and the ability to tarnish reputations will sit at the top of the hierarchy of other subservient women and then men underneath that. And, and you lose a country like that. The Chinese aren't doing it, the Russians aren't doing it. Nobody who we're going to war with right now or in the future uh, is gonna do that, and we're gonna get our ass kicked by and when the time comes if we don't change the trajectory now. I can't top that, so I'm not gonna try. Let me take care of some business. Patriot Mobile,
0: with the recent rulings from the Supreme Court, it's worth mentioning that these wins didn't happen on their own. It took the support of companies like Patriot Mobile, who have passionately fought on the behalf of the unborn and your constitutional rights. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative mobile phone provider and they have been on the front lines fighting for your values. This is why Patriot Mobile is different from every other provider out there. Inflation has hurt many Americans, but thankfully Patriot Mobile has plans for almost any budget, and they offer the same nationwide coverage as all the major carriers. So you get the same great service plus the knowledge that your money is going to a company fighting for the sanctity of life, religious freedom, and the Second Amendment. Go to PatriotMobile.com slash Jason or call 972-PATRIOT. Use the offer code Jason to get free activation. If you're a veteran or first responder, please let them know because they have a special discount just for you. Come join our movement and make the switch today slash jason slash jason or call 972 All all right you can email your boy let us know what you think at fearless no fearless at theblaze.com uh, Steve Kim the Korean Cosell we want to talk about why there's not been a successor to Muhammad Ali my
3: discrimination up your hands for freedom
0: all right welcome back uh look there's been a bunch of or there today there will be a bunch of different pairings on this show that i've been dying to have uh we just had shamika and royce uh that went as well as i expected we're going to end the show with royce and delano uh, that, I'm gonna predict, is gonna go very well. Uh, this one here, Steve, Kim, and Royce, this could be amazing. Uh, they're kind, they're, they're cut from the same cough, but they do different things. Steve is the funniest person on the show, the most clever person on the show. Uh, Royce, I think, I, I love to call Delano the smartest. Royce is the deepest man on the show, and so, It'll be this pairing of Steve, Kim, and Royce. It's gonna be pretty amazing. Uh, and we're gonna have a, con- they've been having this conversation off the air. Now we're gonna have it on the air because uh, I think TJ Moe uh, said something yesterday that kind of sparked both of theirs' attention where TJ, I, th- I think we have the clip, TJ said something about why we'll never have another Muhammad Ali and that you know, Royce would be the most likely candidate. Most of these athletes aren't smart enough. But anyway, let's listen to T.J. Moe, and then we'll get into the discussion.
5: Um, as yeah. far as damage that you know, irreparable damage. I I just don't think so. I think the players are too dumb, and this this goes to um, we were having a little bit of a. Uh, off book discussion i guess between steve kim and royce white in our group text and my as they were going back and forth my thought was about you know should players be revolutionaries and how do they do these things right and royce's position is that they should and he's been clear about that. And I think Royce is too smart to understand how dumb everyone else is. right? Royce is the rare breed of the guy that has the IQ to do that and the talent to go along with it. And so Royce, I think, could lead some sort of revolt. And in this case, he could, be, could have been, probably would have been Kyrie. right? Um, but most of these other guys don't have the IQ. And, and most of the guys, as we've talked about, don't really um they're not in the league long enough to take any sort of stand and so it's got to be the top top guys and then they'll give cover for the rest
0: all right so that sparked a little off-air conversation about muhammad ali will there ever be another one and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna referee i think a dispute between royce and steve (laughs) kim here about uh, will there ever be another Muhammad Ali? Is it even a possibility? Uh, And because Steve is the smaller fighter, he's fighting out of his weight class. Again, Royce is the deepest man on the show. Uh, Steve is clever. He's kind of a lightweight. He's a Floyd Mayweather. Uh, Royce is Ernie Shaver's hardest puncher on the show. I'm gonna let Steve fire first. So uh, Steve, uh, where do you come down on uh, Muhammad Ali's legacy and will there ever be another athlete that could fill that lane?
6: Well, to answer that question, I don't think there will be. Number one, Muhammad Ali was greatly influenced by Malcolm X. If you ever read the book uh, Blood Brothers, uh, these guys are now influenced by I don't know what, but I don't like it. And another, another thing is until they actually make the, not the individual decision, but the collective decision to actually sacrifice something Um, instead of all these gestures, I I think a lot of these things are very empty. I I referenced this last week during the NBA bubble after the Jacob Blake situation when there was like maybe a two-hour span where the players were actually thinking about walking out and suspending the league. I will admit, I said, whoa, we may have to listen to these individuals. They may actually sacrifice something. But as soon as they skulked back, I said, nope, nope, not taking any of you seriously. (laughs) I don't have to. I don't watch basketball. You could have walked out, would not have affected me. But the act of them all walking out, saying we're going to suspend the league, we're going to have a situation that is volatile, and we're going to make a stand, I would have taken them seriously. As soon as they walked back in because their collective bargaining agreement would have been null and void, I said, guys, good luck playing basketball. You're allowed to make a living, but you're not going to lecture me in any way. Sorry.
0: Mm. Uh, So Steve's (laughs) argument is there. Integrity lightweights. Yeah. Uh,
2: T.J.'s argument
0: is they're intellectual lightweights. True. Where do you co- or maybe they're both right?
2: Well, I think they're both right. And full disclosure, if just as a as a preface, I love Steve Kim, and, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, he's right. What he just said is, a, is is 100% right. Me as a as an athlete, I felt the same way during the bubble, and even you could reference my um, open letter to Kyrie Irving. During the bubble situation, uh, where I basically called for the NBA players to, you know, have the owner. If you if you want to do something meaningful, don't let them give five hundred million dollars to some invisible phantom Black Lives Matter initiative. Ask that we create fifty black banks. Have each team put up the money to to build a black banks in each of their respective cities, which is only like twelve million dollars. right, to to start a bank. Um, so, so I think Steve Kim is right, but I think the question is wrong, if I may. Go ahead, please. The, the question shouldn't be whether or not there can be another Muhammad Ali or will be, because the obvious answer is no. Muhammad Ali, who he was, which sport he was in, who he was influenced by, the time that he lived, is all a, a set of circumstances that are much too unique to, to replicate. The question should be, um, what position do athletes in our society hold how do they use that position currently, but also, how could they use that position? And, and so from my vantage point as an athlete who always tries to encourage other athletes to be true leaders, um, I see it from two, two vantage points, both in the affirmative that athletes need to lead. One is, the athletes are, and this is what I said to Steve in the, in the chat, although the athletes are paid at a level much higher than the working class, they are effectively still the working class. They're employees. And if you don't understand the difference between a Mark Cuban, a Jeannie Bus, and a LeBron James, then you don't understand the fundamentals of economics in our country. There's a big difference between getting a salary and having equity. There's a big difference between getting a salary and having ownership. And black people have missed this in this country. These black men that are athletes, specifically, have missed this. So I count the athletes as being much closer to the free people and the working class than the ownership or the establishment. Now, the athletes are or have, by and large, sold out. There's no doubt about that. That doesn't speak for a future generation of athletes. And in 10 years, all these athletes will be recycled. LeBron won't be in the position he's in, just like Michael Jordan is no longer in the position he was in. Now, what the establishment is counting on, that in their anti-competitive cartel-like... Uh, professional sports structure they can continue can condition and bottleneck and pipeline athletes to believe the things and behave the way a leBron James would I don't believe that that's a that that's a certitude I believe that the younger athletes or younger generations like my son or or you know even younger can be taught what America really is what citizenship really is and the the um, the scam that the establishment has run but if you don't see that the NBA NBA office as a governing body works on behalf of the owners and the owners work on behalf of the globalist establishment uh, and that the players are just willful idiots, you could say, uh, not not to be disparaging, but they, they are, um, then you don't understand the fundamental structures of this country. And the other, the other piece is this. Let's take political strategy for, for, to, to into consideration. We don't save this country without black and Hispanic men, period, because the black women, they're in on it. With the, with the white liberal women. It's been that way since the 1960s. It was the black man got the vote before we did. The white woman went to the black woman and said, the black man got the vote before you did. You're not equal in your house. That was the start of the whole cultural decay for the black man and black woman to split, split uh, in the political realm. So the black woman's not coming back in a way that could win us the America First uh, movement Elections so without the Hispanic and black men like Steve Bannon said on your show We can't get this country back who's in a better position to culturally influence young black men than our black sports figure Figures I don't think there's anybody it could be the rappers entertainers, too But the rappers are so far gone into moral decay I mean there's still something moral about about coming into an arena a square game and, and given your, there's many things to, to admire about what our modern athletes do. They've just been hijacked politically. I believe that can be solved. I think Steve is more
6: of the thought that that could never be solved.
0: Steve, I, I'll let you answer first, and I'm going to come in behind you.
6: Yes, I actually agree with much of what Royce says. The issue is what they should be doing um, and what they can do. I'm more pragmatic about the indoctrination that they get early on And what they become. And Royce, you talked about how every NBA franchise should fund a black bank. Uh, That dovetails into right what I said to Jason about three, four months ago. If athletes really wanted to make a difference in today's society, number one, I believe they have to individually create generational wealth for their own families and invest in their own communities. And I've asked this and I said this on the show three, four months ago. If the modern day athlete was serious specifically the black ones, about moving forward. I don't know why they don't create an economic collective to actually buy up property and actually buy up businesses, invest as a collective, if not individual. A lot of land out there, let's just not let the Chinese invade and Bill Gates buy it all, okay? They could have been doing that for years. Magic Johnson, instead of just as an individual uh, creating one conglomerate, I, I get it, magic is magic. But a lot of these NBA players make millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. And I'm just kind of figuring out what are they doing with it uh, in years to come. The other thing that I I have a real question about, two years ago, all the athletes protested over various social issues. I actually never had a problem with it. I'm here for the game. But if you ask a lot of these athletes on the record, like a Malcolm Jenkins, Malcolm, from 2020 to 2022, do you think America has gotten better with these issues? I guarantee you they'd have no other choice but to say, no, it's gotten worse. Okay, then I'd ask them this then. Two questions. Number one, then why aren't the NFL players taking a knee now during the national anthem? You, you, oh. Is it just gestures? Is it, is it is it the pet rock? Was it the Malcolm X hat? It's no longer a fad. Number two. The, all the millions that were given to you by the NFL owners that you, uh, I think, emotionally extorted out of them, what tangible evidence is there that any of that money has had a, had a positive impact on the communities you say you serve? I, I'd like to see an accounting of, or an auditing of where that money went and how did it actually move our society and those particular communities forward. that That's why I have no faith in this thing, because... As I look at these games, I'm watching these games. I'm going to continue to watch. No, It's almost like 2020 never happened. So my question is this, were you programmed to protest, or did you just not ever really care? Or is it a combination of both?
0: I, I think both of you have made excellent points. And my God, Steve, I'm going to have to bring Royce in all the time to get you to step up to this level all the time. You're, you're showing that <laughs> hugely intellectual side of yourself. That I always you couldn't be funny without it. So but 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 what Steve is getting at is, and this is where I probably tend to lean Steve's direction is these athletes are getting discipled. And LeBron James is the head of the church right now, yeah. discipling athletes in all sports. Again, it's like I watched in real time as he got his hooks into Patrick Mahomes. And anytime Uh, One of these athletes reveal themselves as a big deal. I see LeBron buddy up to him, invite him into his circle. And so he's discipling him in his ways. And we're going to hop on board with the Democrats and the the Black Lives Matter and the whole feminist movement and all that other stuff. The, The only guy that I've seen that hasn't jumped fully on board that they, I, I see him putting the bait out there and they want to decide is Lamar Jackson. He, he again, I, I don't know where he is on the spectrum but yeah. he ain't all in. And I watch Patrick Mahomes in real time. I watch it like pivot and next thing you know, here's a dude that's half black, half white, married to a white woman. Most of his life is white. And, and the and next- brother's th- a Pinocchio. Yes. Yeah. And the next thing you know, he's one of the blackest guys on the planet or whatever. and, and quarterback of my team, love his talent, yeah. young guy, get it. But I'm watching young athletes. I, it's like the, the tennis players I've seen, these 14, 15-year-old tennis players. I see Serena Williams in the group. As soon as they show any talent, they get their hooks into no them, doubt. and they start introducing them to their little circle of friends, and they all get hooked in. And and no, they, they never allow an opportunity for anybody to come in and say, You know, there's a different approach. We can go the whole Booker T. Washington. We got enough money here amongst us to make some real change in communities we care about and make money, good, sound business decisions. But what I've seen with most uh, black celebrities, I'll take it off of athletes, most black celebrities, and I'm gonna throw myself into this group because I've been there mentally. We look for the white Jew to disciple us. For sure. Period. End of story. We are uncomfortable working amongst ourselves and submitting to the leadership of someone that looks like us. we completely uncomfortable with it. And we're always looking for our Jesus. And, and again, now I'm a Christian, so I got no problem with the white Jew Christian. What are the whatever color Jesus was? I got no problem with the Jewish person. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Right? <laughs> I got yeah. no problem with it. Yeah. But we have been discipled and groomed and and bought into. there's a white Jew out there that's gonna save us. He's gonna be our Jesus, and let's follow his leadership and guidance. Yeah. And and it's a it's a struggle. I I I I've seen it. In my own self, what I'm talking about, and then I've seen it within my own self trying to exercise some leadership and discipleship over black people. Yeah. Woo, you talk about some tough sled. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. don't matter what you do, yeah. how good you are, it ain't good enough. The white man's ice is always colder.
2: Well, <laughs> and, you know, well, f- first I want to. Make one clarification when I wrote the letter to Kyrie Irving and talked about the black banks, I actually did say that the players should match the whatever was given from the owners um, and and, I, and and ultimately. I think that what Steve Kim said is 100% correct. Again, the, the failure of black people, especially black celebrities of the black elite, to come together and pool their financial resources to bring America, Black America into a better place is a testament that the entire pro-black movement is somewhat of a frugazi. okay? So I, I would agree with them on that. Okay. Um, but I do think that if in the NBA and NFL are, are night and day, or they were night and day back then on this particular issue, in that the NBA are, are globalists to the max. NFL, not so much. It's different, different echelon of, of business practice. The NBA's, in on, the NBA's all in on the collectivist identity politics, political chameleonic position. The NFL was brought into it, you could say, by Colin Kaepernick. So there's a stark difference between the two. Um, but if the NBA is going to use Black Lives Matter, the moniker, shouldn't they have to pay for it? If it belongs to black people, not the LGBTQ, shouldn't they have to pay? Shouldn't they have to throw down in order to use that moniker for their commercial advancement or to, for their, their commercial image? So that was my point in the chat. But um, you know, I think that, again, the, the question is not about the athletes that exist today and whether there's an epidemic of selling out, because that's clear athletes are just selling out at an all-time high, more than ever before. Black elites in general, f- across, the, across the field of entertainment, black people are selling out at an all-time high. The question is about the fundamental position of the athlete in the society we've built. And we've built a vanity, bottleneck, microphone culture of faces. And this is why Donald Trump is effective, and although I disagree with a lot of things that he's not a lot, but some things that he says, I understand where we are today as a society and where we are today is your face matters, your effect in the public square matters. So where are our revolutionaries going to come from? They're not going to be our black college professors. That's that's done. The the colleges are Marxists. You can't even rise up to be a, a, a prominent college professor unless you're a Marxist. They're not going to be our lawyers. That's Ben Crump. Okay. they're not going to be your your local preacher, because even they feel the the intuition to bend the knee to the LGBTQ and and the establishment. The athletes actually are independent contractors. They're not collectivists. And the fact that they don't invest together is a sign that they are still radical individuals. Now, their individual ambitions and appetites may be misled, misguided, and misplaced, but they have that impetus to be individuals still, even in the team sports. Where are our revolutionaries going to come from? Who's going to be able to have the microphone, the economic security, and, and the willingness, the closeness to the working class society to rebel against the establishment? when the circumstance is right. And I think that could only come from the athletes. Have a bunch of people missed? Floyd Mayweather, I think, missed. Uh, LeBron James is clearly missed. Tiger Woods missed. And I'm talking about black athletes because black athletes dominate sports in, in, a, in a large way. Um, you know, uh, um, uh, you can keep naming them. A lot, a lot of them have missed. But my question is, could the next black athlete not be not a Muhammad Ali? but that revolutionary figure we need to change the tide. The
0: the the guy I would go to, because I'm going to take race out of it. Is it's going to take someone to stand on that square of Christianity. Yeah. And so a Jonathan Isaacs had a chance. He was a very talented player, knee injuries, whatever. Doesn't look like it's going to happen for him, but uh you know he sound like he, he'll have an nba career but not he's not going to be so maybe there will be some faith-based athlete that rises up Is maybe aaron Rodgers is late in his career as well maybe he'll rediscover his faith i don't know but he's very late in his career but but it's going to take that type of athlete i want to go back to your point though about where the NFL, and why they've pivoted. I got at this a little bit yesterday, and Steve, I'll, I'll bring you in and let you respond to this, but I got at this a little bit yesterday in terms of why I think the NFL is just as Marxist and globalist as the NBA now. Now, yeah. Now. And it's because of Big Pharma. Yeah, no Big doubt. Pharma is in control of television. No doubt. And, and the NFL, people didn't... That, that little thing that the revolutionaries did to Papa John Snyder. Because if you, Papa John's Pizza was the most visible high profile advertiser associated with the NFL for many years. He and Peyton Manning, and they spent a bunch of money with the NFL. He was very influential, tied in with Jerry Jones and Daniel Snyder. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the smearing of Papa John was about, we got to get him up out of here. Get, get Papa John's up out of the NFL and this guy up because this guy has traditional American values. He's not a globalist and Just create more and and that's how the NFL was able to stay loyal to its traditional brand But now that Big Pharma is the king of all kings in terms of television advertising And Big Pharma is addicted to the 1.3 billion people over in China just like all these other global corporations yeah. and and so Big Pharma's a globalist and, the, and, and yeah. the NFL is now addicted to, to that money. And so they're just as globalist and Marxist as the NBA. Steve, uh, I want to bring you back in if you, you have some follow-up thoughts.
6: Yeah, it's interesting that I got me thinking when Royce talked about Colin Kaepernick. He is the uh, Patricia Collars of the National Football League. They all wave this banner mm-hmm. of Black Lives Matter. They're all going to be revolutionary and symbolically and physically – They got their mansion. Think about this. The BLM movement collectively, I think by all metrics, if you look at crime, economics, job status, unemployment rates, all those things that matter to everyday black Americans living in any, whether it's a suburb or an inner city. They are the organization that told you they are oppressed and that we're going to be a force to uplift the people. Certain people got uplifted. Patricia Cullors owns various properties, lives in a nice, gated, white community. Colin Kaepernick does the same thing. He enriched himself. This guy was a flagging football player who was benched for Blaine Gabbard. And I'm going to get in trouble for this. I always do, but I'll say it again. He did it when his career was declining and he was pouting. Yeah, rip me. I'm going to say it and I'll continue to say it. You'll never change my mind. But the, and it's interesting There is a parallel. Patrice Cullors was driven to tears because I think Candace Owens knocked on her door and said, hello, Uh, what's going on here? And then Patrice did this whole tear-jerk thing. Oh, my God, this – I'm like, okay. Well, think about this. Colin Kaepernick did this tryout with the Oakland Raiders, and for like 48 hours, people really thought, see, he does want to play football. Then it turns out – or Warren Sapp uh, – Brought new meaning to the term quarterback killer because he absolutely threw Colin Kaepernick under the bus and he said it's the worst workout. And you know what's funny? All of a sudden, that thing just went silent. It's like that Homer Simpson mean of Homer coming out of the bushes and coming back out because he must have thrown more bounce passes than Steph Curry. But now, but he (laughs) gave the impression, see, I wanted to play football. Never mind, I haven't done it for six years, but I'm still with you. And meanwhile, uh, I guess he's having a kid. Good luck to him. Fatherhood's a big thing. But he's done well with the BLM. He really has. He's ridden it for all he can. Here's my question to both Colors and Kaepernick. What else? Who else has really benefited from this in the big picture?
0: Nobody I can think of. Uh, I don't know, the woke athletes or Sean King, maybe. Uh (laughs) Maybe. I don't I don't I don't the hustlers maybe a long talk who we yeah. talked about uh, In the in the opening segment of the show maybe a long talk benefited because again th- that's my yep. whole Point with with these organizations and the whole racial uh, Grievance industrial complex. It's just all the money-making scheme. Yeah, they they the, the, you know, a long talk is benefiting. They're promoting what Rachel Richardson did and look what we did. We work with her. and Now look she's look how famous she is. And so other schools are gonna pay twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars for someone to come in and teach their kids how to spot racism even when even when it's not there. The whole that's again, that's I'm more pessimistic about us ever they're so far out. Ahead of us yeah that I don't and again I know because I have faith and I don't want to be a cynic and I know that anything is possible and God can do anything and maybe there will be Some athlete out there yeah. Ma- Maybe Royce will have a son and he'll or, or two or three sons and you'll be the new
2: LeVar ball Well fir- first let's let's get this clear. I'm still an athlete yeah (laughs) yeah right and and uh you know my first mma uh fight was unsuccessful but i'm gonna have another one in december and i'm still eyeing that that heavyweight strap in the ufc and i think it's doable because the ufc's heavyweight division is thin although in is a monster and i like cyril gain and steve kim and i could talk fight the fight game all day but but um i think i think i'm gonna have a i'm still gonna be on the athlete stage and i don't want to toot my own horn but it's a sign of the establishment that i was muzzled early and and and, but I want to show you one one thing. There are many people who even support a conservative agenda, an America First agenda, a Christian agenda, who would shill for the establishment and justify my banishment from the NBA or my exile from the NBA by saying you just weren't good enough. And that's why I caution a Steve Kim around Kaepernick, because it's easy in in the. Uh, and the, uh, you know, simplistic sort of uh, ready-made political narrative that we get every morning to blend uh, very lines that should be distinguished. Me and Kaepernick aren't the same at all, they're not, not similar at all. And there are black athletes who have tried to stand out, and they're a key turn away from being spot on and being transcendent. And this country, America for citizens, but even in a Christian sense, is about individuals. And that's what the America First agenda and movement has to embrace, that the change in this country is gonna come from individuals. It's gonna come from individual enlightenment and individual courage. It's not gonna come from institutional change. So I don't know if there's gonna be another Muhammad Ali or an athlete that that can carry the torch or not. I know we better pray for one, because if we don't, we're all dead. And that, that's what people really fail to realize. That people and, and take Colin Kaepernick, for example. Do I agree with Cap? No. Do I agree with his political disposition in general? No. But I'm smart enough to know that sometimes people have an intuition towards things that they're not yet ready to fully articulate. And Cap was right in a sense. The NFL and the NBA are the perfect example of the Uniparty. On the right, uh, on the left, you got the NBA with their identity politics culture. And on the right, you got the NFL with their military industrial complex infatuation. And, and Colin Kaepernick was right to say, what is the relationship between this corporate giant of grassroots sports, the military, and the, the expression of our national honor? And is it legitimate? Is it, is it valid? Is it honest? And the obvious answer is no. Not only is the relationship not honest between the NFL, the grassroots communities where football players come from, the industrial complex, our military and the expression of the American flag, the entire expression of the military itself isn't honest in its premise. And so he was right to say that he didn't know how to articulate it and he didn't have leaders around him like a Malcolm X that could caution him to the predatory forces that were going to come in and use his lack of knowledge to their advantage. And all I'm saying is that the circumstances right in this country for a person like you, or a person like me, or Steve Kim, or Shamika Michelle, or Fearless, or Blaze, or Steve Bannon, or Alex Jones, to have a profound impact on a young athlete who's gonna be the the biggest star of tomorrow. We don't know who that is yet, but but the circumstance is right.
0: That's the first time I've ever heard anyone Defend Colin Kaepernick and I didn't want to strangle him.
2: <laughs> I, I didn't defend oh, Wait, wait, let me make it. I didn't defend them. All I'm saying is <laughs> it's the first time I've heard someone comes from
0: everywhere, a little bit. not trash Colin Kaepernick. There you, thank you, thank you. And I didn't want to strangle him. So we're going to end uh, this segment on that note. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit notifications, hit subscribe. Man, it's gonna get deeper and smarter. The Squires X.
3: I just want I want a I
2: just want I just
0: All right, welcome back. I'm a little bit nervous uh, to talk about this next topic, not for Royce White, not for our fearless soldier uh, that's joining us, Delano Squires. I'm scared for me, uh, because we're gonna talk about the STARS, I think, TV show called P-Valley, and the P stands for P-U-S-S-Y, and the show is about a strip club in Mississippi Uh, And I hope that I have the discipline to get through this uh, without embarrassing myself Uh, There's so much brain power in this segment between Royce and Delano uh, And so much integrity uh, in this segment between those two guys. I'm hoping that uh, You know the old Jason Whitlock doesn't reveal himself as we try to discuss uh, the TV show P Valley and Deion Sanders, the Jackson State head football coach, the former NFL legend. Uh, P-Valley is a show that started out, a, a, one of my partners called me about this last week, well, best friend from high school, Willie Clark. Called, oh, I shouldn't even say it, Willie's name. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he called and said, he's watching P-Valley, and he's all upset because the show has pivoted. It's It, it was a show about a strip club, now it's a gay love story about the gay strip club owner and him, his love affair with the little Nas X of Mississippi, some little rapper called Little Murder or whatever. And and my, my 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 friend from high school called or texted me showing me this clip of Dion Sanders talking about P Valley. Uh, so let's play the clip of Dion talking about P Valley.
2: I'm
1: currently watching. P Valley. <laughs> yes, right. I said it. I said it. Didn't stutter, didn't stumble. Yeah, I said it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm inviting him to the first home game. Yes, right. On Cliff. Come on. you. Gotcha. Little La murder. <laughs> you wanted it real, right? You wanted it real. All right, P Valley. Okay. I, I just got, I was done with the Queen of the South, um, and I went back to Empire. I went back to all my stuff that I didn't finish. I like to complete things, so yeah I'm in Pe Valley right now I'm not happy with all the scenes okay a little uncomfortable, but I stick with it I stick with it <laughs> uh,
0: he's not comfortable uh with it because there's I've never seen the show, but based on all of my reporting and people that have a lot of gay sex in the show uh di- Uh, Dion inviting the two stars, the two gay stars of this. This is basically turned into the black strip club version of Will and Grace. Uh, (laughs) Uncle Cliff and Little Murder are the two gay male lovers uh, that are the stars of this. He's invited into Jackson State. It does not surprise me. Uh, This is right on brand for HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. People don't talk about it, but uh, they're basically gay heaven. This is where gay people find heaven on earth at HBCUs. And again, no one talks about it, but the universities that produced uh, Martin Luther King, Oprah Winfrey, and many, many, many uh, more, Walter Payton, all the all-time great uh, black achievers in this country of, of a certain generation, all graduated from HBCUs basically. Uh, now have been turned into uh, heaven for for gay students and gay young people. And so it does not shock me that Deion Sanders is bowing uh, and kissing the ring of P-Valley and that show. Uh, So I want to bring Delano and Royce together, like Wonder Twin Powers activate... (laughs) Have you guys <laughs> met? Have y'all been on the show together before? Uh, I don't think so. The IQ level here just uh, multiplied about 10 <laughs> times having you two guys at the same time. Yeah. Uh,
2: I, I haven't been on the show with them before. I, don't, I mean, during the same the same show, not in the same segment, but same good segment, to meet yeah, you, brother. Yeah. Can't wait till we meet in Likewise. person. I'm a fan. Likewise. Likewise.
0: Uh, so, so Delano uh, brought this topic to me this morning, and it reminded me of a conversation I had last week. And so, Delano, I, I, I wanna start with you and get your take first on what do you think Deion Sanders is doing here? I think it's a very calculated move. He's, he's coaching at an HBCU. He needs to let everybody on that campus know that he's down
4: with the program. It's interesting you gave that commentary on HBCUs because in, in my experience, HBCUs tend to be, at least uh, um, up to a certain point in history, Tended to be a little bit more socially conservative in nature. Um, I'm reminded of it was probably about a decade ago. I think it was Hampton University caused a, a minor controversy when they their business school said that students, particularly male students, could not wear locks. Um, they couldn't wear braids or twists, and that caused a big stir among you know the black intelligentsia, many of whom have been educated at PWIs or predominantly white institutions. So my, I'm, I'm not sure, and I've never been to Jackson State, so I'm not sure that campus culture, I certainly would say now, it's certainly, I'm sure it's a lot more affirming of, you know, anything having to do with the LGBT community than it was, let's say, 20 years ago. But that doesn't mean it's as affirming as it would be on Yale's campus or, or you know, some other, you know, predominantly white institution. Um, that being said, I'll say this. This was an interesting clip because I saw a different clip of Dion. Telling his players, look, when you go to class, no slides, no wife beaters, sit in the front of the classroom, make sure you're paying attention. So I saw him there as really trying to exercise his authority as a father figure to shape these young men and prepare them for the world that awaits them. This part, I would say is a little disappointing, but honestly, it's not surprising anymore. I mean, everybody salutes the flag at some point unless you, you have planted your own flag and say, look, I'm, people can live however they want, but to think that I'm going to affirm every lifestyle that they put out there is, is not happening. So I'm, I'm not terribly surprised by Dion. Um, I'm not surprised he said he watches the show. I am surprised that as somebody who, again, shows that he's sensitive to, to, to the black male image, that he would promote a show like this, which I, I hope that uh, somebody, you know, um, has a picture of the main character. I think his name is Uncle Clifford, because he he is a non-binary character, right? It's not that. Oh, okay. So that they he got on his do-rag, but when you see him fully quaffed and he got the hair, you know, what I mean, flipped to the side, the, the, the stars is is doing what a, a lot of um, Hollywood does, which is. In my estimation, degrade the black male image, um, and and this really is demoralizing. If you're someone who cares about the black public image, and I'm not sure to what extent there it is, I'm not sure to what extent Deion Sanders does.
0: Royce, I'm gonna let you hop in before I come
2: back. Yeah. Um, well, first I I, I want to echo what what Delano said. I I tend to like. Deion Sanders, overall, and uh, his rebranding as he's become a coach when he was starting off as a youth coach, and now that he's at the HBCU, I really, I really en- enjoy and, and believe in a lot of things, messages that he has as an athlete, but just as a young man for a lot of his players. And I too saw the clip where he, you know, basically got got down on his players about. The, the typical image of a, of a male jock who, <clears throat> you know, is only there to play sports and doesn't care about how he's perceived in the classroom or on the campus. Um, so, you know, th- this is the duality that we face in this country with many of our leaders, but but especially our black leaders, uh, their their own. Um, Views individually, their own experience, their own their own story and and the message that they want to bring versus them bending the knee to the establishment in in some sense. And um, yeah, I I think it's completely out of pocket. You know, the, the thing that bothers me most about the LGBTQ movement, specifically as it pertains to black men. And, and what we just went through over the last two years with a perceived health crisis pandemic. And we talked a lot about public safety, health, uh, disease, all of those things. The black male HIV rate is astronomical. The black male HIV rate, I mean, you have a 50% chance of contracting HIV if you're a black homosexual male. Um, and, and the health risk is completely overlooked in the promotion of these things specifically when it comes to black men, like this character is. Um, so, you know, that, that's just a blatant dishonesty in the entire information chain. Um, and, and, you know, but, but at the same time, um, our leaders are not always up to speed on, on the entire scope of a given mm-hmm. thing that they participate in. So I give some lenience as well uh, and like I said, I see Dion promoting the right things. Hopefully he has a coming to Jesus around this specific issue because I'm, I'm, I'm not in support of it whatsoever.
0: Look, I'm a fan of Deion Sanders. Uh, I, I really am. I love what he's doing with Jackson State. Uh, Deion uh, claims a faith in Jesus Christ, uh, claims to be a Christian. And, and so I'm just not comfortable with. Hey, these are. I'm inviting these guys to campus because that's what he did, and there's been follow-up stories that these guys are headed to the campus. Uncle mm-hmm. Clifford, Little Murder. That's going to be a signal to his players and the people, the young men that he's discipling, where Dion stands on this issue. I, I, I want to go back, Delano, uh, to your comments about Hampton and HBCUs, and and Hampton. Is probably the last conservative black HBCU Hampton Mm -hmm. has uh, consistently at least one of the professors there has consistently reached out and asked me to come speak hasn't worked with my schedule but it's one of the few college campuses black or white where someone Mm -hmm. like me is even welcome to speak Mm -hmm. and so I will give Hampton that credit but if I, 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 you know, I don't want to just go with, a, you know, one-off examples or whatever. But I got a friend whose son went to Morehouse, and I, I mm. got play-by-play throughout his son's uh, years at Morehouse, and how that campus, Martin Luther King's campus, completely mm. dominated by the LGBT crowd. Everything ran through them including his orientation to the campus. He was toured around the campus by the LGBT crowd and everywhere he went, they were the controlling factor and interest. But I'll even go outside the whole HBCU deal and, and, and talk about what I've experienced because I'm still very connected to my university, Ball State University. When I go home for homecoming, me and my friends of my generation and I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not, I don't wanna piss off the Greek crowd or whatever, but I'm just gonna keep it real. When we go to the homecoming and go to the Greek, mm-hmm. the black Greek portion of the homecoming celebration, mm-hmm. it's a flame show. It <laughs> is an absolute flame show. And, and, and I can remember the last time I, I went through this experience, and I was there with friends of mine, and we were there from, from morning until night and flame show everywhere we went. And I kept saying, how come I don't see any white flames anywhere? And I know mm-hmm. there are gay white people on this campus, but they're not just flamboyant Uncle Clifford about it. No. They carry themselves mm-hmm. in a respectful, uh, non, hey, look at me, uh, more traditional man way. Whereas with P Valley, And what I see when I'm around young black college kids, the reason they're portraying us this way is because everybody wants to be little Nas X. It seems like or uh, uh, Mm. I don't say everybody, but it's 20, 30 percent. And I I don't. I have to be careful because the whole topic hits close to home for me. Uh, But I don't dislike. I don't have animus but I know what the Bible says, I know what I believe, and I know what's best for young black men. And for just young men in general, take black out of it. And, And they've got us in a lane on these college campuses and in popular culture that's not best for our survival, reproduction, family structure, ultimate success. Again, if we're here, and I, I apologize to God. I apologize to everybody that I have not reproduced and didn't uh, engage myself in a family structure. I, I apologize for that. It's a mistake on my part. But but this whole lane they have us in of not being able to reproduce is the yeah. antithesis of God, and it, and it's offensive to me. I,
4: I think that's my um, a, a couple things come to mind when you talked about Hampton. My wife is a Hampton grad. Hampton actually has or had—I'm not sure if they still have it—but the—I want to get the acronym right. It was the National Center for African American Marriage and Family. Um, it was run by a professor named, I think it was Maria Kalan, and and they 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 did a big thing, you know, probably about a decade ago, bringing together all these different organizations to pr- promote marriage in the Black community, so on and so forth. So yeah, they they have some roots in in that area, and as you said, they they may be you know, sort of the, the last holdout. But it's a couple of things, Jason. One, one is the imaging issue, right? And even, again, let's stay in the sports world. Uh, Zaya Wade is all over the place, right? Zaya gets more um, attention and media coverage than his older brother Zaire and LeBron's two boys who play basketball, right? I'll see Bryce and Bronny, you know, on Instagram clips from time to time, but Yahoo is not covering them, you know what I mean? All these other uh, outlets who are in firmly in the culture space are not covering them, but whenever Zaya comes out and he's on the catwalk and he wearing Gucci and he, he's strutting and, and, and parading around, here they come and they're they affirming and they say, oh wow, this is, this is so beautiful, we affirm you. So, so part, part of it is that imaging problem. And, and, and I said to you this morning, Jason, it seems like to me the dominant culture prefers its black men either dead to fuel their activism or, or gay to fuel their lifestyles and representation. That if, if, I, if I came from Mars and I, and I just looked at what I see on the screen, when I, when I look at who is promoted, what lifestyles are promoted, who is affirmed, who's held up, if it, it's it's not going to be a guy preaching a, a, a traditional or, or certainly a Christian you know or conservative message that that is not what they want to hear. The the other thing is I mean the the, the, the Pea Valley stuff again. There, there's a lot of this going on in the culture, and all of the sort of mainstream black organs of culture and politics promote it. We've said this before. You cannot be a Democratic politician, as a, as a black person, as a black male, if you do not bend the knee, kiss the ring, and salute the LGBT flag. It's impossible, right? Preferable if, if you carry the flag yourself. But if, but if you're a straight guy, you, you need to be an ally, right? So I, I'm not surprised by this. Um, it's surprising that, it's, it's somewhat surprising that male athletes are, um, bending the knee because, again, these are the sort of stereotypically, um, you know, masculine figures in our society. But once Dwayne Wade dropped. Right. And he's a big star. He's not some, you know, nobody. You're going to start to see more and more of these guys fall in line. They're going to become softer and softer with their language, more inclusive, using personal pronouns, even the game. Right. The rapper, the game from from L.A., the guy who will rap about killing black men at the drop of a dime, he came out and supported Dwayne Wade and said, man, F y'all e. criticizing Dwayne Wade. You're supposed to support your kids, whatever they do. So it's one of these things where this is where we're headed. I wrote a couple weeks ago, there's a great separation going on in the black community. The, the it's, it's happening sort of beneath the surface, but eventually... Um, it, it's, it's going to come to a head because we cannot continue in this way because there's the representation problem. And then, as you said, Jason, even for people who are complete non-believers, there's, there's you can't fight against the natural order, right? And when, when you abort one-third of your offspring and then, as I used the analogy the other day, if you're missing a left field, you hit the cutoff man at third, right? Anything to keep, keep guys from, from scoring the natural way. So when you abort one third and then you try to recruit the other, another third into an, uh, a lifestyle that cannot reproduce, you, you, you don't need white people for, for genocide. You're doing it yourself.
2: And, and we and we know that you don't need much deviation from the natural order in a society to create a population collapse. I think Elon Musk, as transhumanist as he is, he cautioned <laughs> towards that a few years back that there's actually a, a population crisis um, in, in terms of rebirth. And here in America, the average person has, what, one and a half kids, and, and we saw that in Japan, we see some of that in China. Um, so that, that's one thing, but I think overall, um, personally for me, it, it's offensive that the pro-black movement, per se, has become synonymous or inextricably linked to, to the LGBTQ movement. And, and I uh, experienced this firsthand during the George Floyd uprising in, in the cities where you know, I would go out and lead these protests and we would be going to the Federal Reserve or we would be going to you know, uh, US Bank Stadium where the Vikings play or any of these other uh, significant political locations. And, and the chance that, that came would always include Black Trans Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I would push back against that immediately, you know, in real time out, out there in the, in the street, but also behind closed doors when the community would come together and and re rally and and organize and talk about these issues and say, you know, in, in one sense they say, um, black trans people are black people. So how can you not include them if you're pro black? But in the same sense, they want to create a special identity or a special classification for those people. And look, you know, I mean, if you're black and you're trans, I don't agree with, with it um, because of my Christian values. But we weren't precluding, we weren't going out of our way to preclude trans people from marching in the street and protesting corporatocracy. Um, they needed to make themselves known and, and put the emphasis and the attention on them in a time where a black men had just been killed or just died in a tragic way. Um, and, and I fought against that, and that's really where uh, the rift between myself and many of the Minneapolis community activists came, came to be, um, because they're, they're, their theory of the case is that um, if you have a problem with, with our government, if you have a problem with the establishment in any way, it all must tie back uh, to being in support of the, the LGBTQ community and, and the lifestyle and the messaging for younger people. And I just, I just completely disagree with it. I don't think that the LGBTQ movement should be at the, the uh, central focus in our political purview in any way, because it's just not that significant. And in and, and, and grand fashion, the establishment- At the moment. In grand fashion, the establishment has done exactly what is beneficial to them. They have used the LGBTQ uh, as a moniker and as a distraction from all the real issues. I mean, who you're having sex with, whether you're LGBTQ or straight, just really isn't any of my business. It's really not anybody's business um, between you, that person, and, and God. Uh, but but um, yeah, that that's become a central focus, and it's not by accident.
0: I the, the other thing that's not by accident, as we talk about the alleged pro-black movement, and and just any of this. If I was to summarize what Delano was saying, what you're, you're saying, is like the, the the pro-black movement, or or what corporate America, what the culture seems to support,
5: mm.
0: is black men who can't or have no interest in reproducing. So if you're dead and or like to use your penis in another man's booty hole, they're good with you. Then there's another black man that they're very good with. If that black man promotes killing other black men. Right. Mm. And so this is what they've turned black culture into. Killing other black men, abortion, aborting your babies, uh, sticking your penis in booty holes that aren't there for reproduction, and uh, dead black men. Mm. And so that's our culture. This is a sickness. This is in total objection to everything that's in the Bible I don't understand how we're allowing this without people tearing their hair out hair on fire uh, up in arms and it's no different than what we talked about uh, at, at the top of the show with 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 Shamika me and uh Royce when, when we're talking about uh, like Mike Hickman can get killed mm. And, and no one cares, no one cares. LeBron James, none of these people have a word to say about a 43-year-old father, Pee Wee football coach getting murdered, but everybody has something to say about a little black girl that says she heard someone call her the N-word during a volleyball match. And, and I, I just, none of it makes sense how we got here. Or I understand how we got here, that all makes perfect yeah. sense. Why we're just laying down and taking it? That's Mm -hmm. what makes no sense to me. It's almost like we've just given up and have accepted failure.
2: Well, I think I think that answer is real simple, actually. You know, the the question of. How black people got here in the first place, one has to ask themselves how we value ourselves first and foremost. Um, we frame the narrative, like you said, that there's this great establishment that means they'll press us and, and persecute us, and there is an establishment, and they do mean to undermine American citizenship for Black people and and all people. But the the, the question that a true American or a Christian would ask themselves is, how do I value me? How do I love me? Um, and that answer seems to be clear for the Black community. We don't value us. We don't love us. Um, and 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 nothing more more of a shiny example uh, than allowing ourselves to be used in this way, in this narrative. Uh, and, and the first aggrandizement of, of a lack of self-love is uh, a seeking of superficial validation. And that's what we're talking about. We, we have a peacock culture, right? Mm-hmm. So a Deion Sanders sees um, the, the, the adulation or the acceptance from Twitter or from the mainstream media or from the local community there at the HBCU, whoever the loudest voices are, that that give the perception of acceptance, are who we gravitate towards, and that that's just a peacock culture, right? And and that's what Dion's doing, that's what LeBron's doing, God bless, that's what Dwayne Wade's doing, um, and, and a lot of other people as well. You know, they're, they're peacocks.
4: Delano, I'll let you jump in here. Yeah, I, I mean. How to unpack how we got here is, is obviously a a different segment for a different day. I, I will say this there there is one particular group of people that I have a particular uh, amount of disdain for, and that's the the black preacher. Right? Not all, put in my necessary caveats, not all. If 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 you're preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ on on a Sunday morning, um, I'm not I'm not talking about you, but Jason, right after the Dobbs decision that overturned you know, Roe v. Wade, you know, we play some of the clips from you know, Jamal Bryan and William Barber and you know, William Murphy and some of these other um, sort of bigger name, you know, Raphael Warnock, uh, black preachers. And obviously th- their views on abortion, which is they're completely uh, sold out to the, the left in terms of abortion on demand, are bad enough. But each one of them, To a man would say, well, first it starts with abortion and then marriage equality, which is just a euphemism for gay marriage, right? Same sex marriage. And these are guys who they refuse to to say what God says unless they they think that the biblical message can advance their political agenda. And to me, false religion is worse than no religion at all, because it is one thing you know, if, if you know, if, let, let's say you just go hungry, and you just look, I'm hungry, my stomach is growling, this is what it is. But when some, somebody says, like, this is a, a healthy, nutritious meal, but is really styrofoam, you, you're, you're getting sort of the mental satisfaction that, that you're intaking something that's nutritious for you, but your body is, is not reaping the benefits. And I think for the black body politic and the body of Christ, particularly black Christians, we're not reaping the benefits of being the quote unquote most religious people in the country right because oftentimes it's the black preacher at the forefront these these are the handmaidens of margaret sanger right that she talked about with the negro project these are the guys selling either selling co-signing or failing to to re- sternly rebuke all of the nonsense in our in our community particularly when it comes to Sex, sexuality, um, and and gender identity, and so I I, I hold them um, largely responsible f- for for this because if you're going to have a church that doesn't you know even address moral issues, if you can't even open up the Bible and say what God says about a particular thing, what's the point of being there? I wish all the churches would just close the ones who do operate like this, and reopen as homeschool co-ops so that Black folks who have traditional values could have somewhere to educate their kids because these people are agents of chaos, and they have led directly to the demoralization of our community. And one of the reasons why we've gotten this way is because these people and and their their allies in the Democratic Party, in black entertainment, athletes, obviously present company uh, not included, uh, all of those other pieces within the puzzle um, have been working to demoralize the black community over, I'd say, at least the last quarter century.
0: Both of y'all have addressed the, and again, Delano, I think you just got at it in terms of why are we just taking this? And again, both of you answered in in different ways. I think Royce, you're saying it's because we don't value ourselves. Uh, Delano just pointed out like we're being misled by religious leaders who should be leading us a, a better direction, But, but... If we remove all of that, just, if we just looked at the results, and, and, mm-hmm. and particularly, I've lived 55 years, I can't believe what I've witnessed in those 55 years. It must, I, I analogized it to uh, people of my mother and father's age who went from, as kids, they couldn't try on clothes at a shopping mall, they just had mm-hmm. to buy them if they didn't fit or, you know, blah, 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 to them sitting at home going. My son's dating a white woman and ain't ain't nobody throwing a riot or, you know, and that's (laughs) got to be like, wow, I can't believe all this is. And I sit here today going, oh, my God, we've we've gone from uh, really trying to adhere to our faith to just completely abandoning all of our values from faith and co-signing and accepting any and everything in the Mm -hmm. name of politics. Mm -hmm. And I'll tee you up, Royce. It it just goes back to no sacred honor.
5: Yeah.
2: And Mm
0: -hmm. so how did we get there? How did we get to a point to where, and maybe it's just because the money is, They printed so much money and they can hand it out to any and everybody that everybody's just taken a bribe. And that's why there's no sacred honor.
2: Well, let's be honest. The the separation of church and state doesn't exist for the black church. The back the black Mm. church, by and large, is a a bastion of the Democratic Party. Um, And and so, you know, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think the black church has become more of a, a false catharsis. Like Galano said, I, I like this guy He's, you know, it's it's taking in the styrofoam with no with no nutrition, no nutritional value. Um, and, and that is a lot. I've experienced that myself in a black church. And we could talk about the hypocrisy within the church, you know, from now and until Sunday. Um, but 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 ultimately, when you really lose that faith on an individual level, uh, you have to bend the knee to an authority. And the highest authority in our society uh, when when you lack the supernatural is the state. And, and so mm-hmm. our concept of, of maintaining our American citizenship, our freedom, our rights, um, uh, you know, our ability, our access to the American dream, all runs through the state, right? It, it all runs through the state. So we, we are at the beck and call. We are at the winds of, of whatever seems advantageous politically. Um, and, and right now, for black people, there's a, there's a risk-benefit uh, analysis that says, the war to, to stand and hold the flag for sacred honor would be a much more difficult road and war to win than to capitulate to the, the, the left, um, the establishment, the church of LGBTQ, the amalgamation of, of identity politics. And that's a, a cost-benefit analysis that many black leaders have made and, and are willing to sell out at the drop of a dime Uh, to to either protect themselves or or to you know see their own advancement within that paradigm all of those things can be true at the same time but that's ultimately what happens when you lose faith you seek a high authority and the high authority by default becomes the state the state is run by the liberal establishment
0: hey I'm gonna make one final comment and then Delano I'll I'll give you a a final say and that'll be the end of our show but I, I would like for you guys perhaps both to respond to this. I want to circle it all the way back to Deion Sanders. And because mm-hmm. I, I look, and again, I like Deion. I wanted to just be crystal clear. I like Deion Sanders. But when I think about how much money Deion's made as a professional athlete, and, and that's where I always, like, when's enough enough? <laughs> and so mm-hmm. isn't there an amount of money where you're like, I'm good, and so now I'm just going to do exactly what I believe? And, and it's, again, I've built my life in a way, <clears throat> and I'm not trying to, it's a protection thing, so I, I don't have to sell out. I have no debt. I haven't had any debt in a long time. I keep it that way so that I'm not forced to sell out. And, and, uh, and, and I have tried to discipline my habits in a way, that I don't feel like oh I got to eat at the greatest restaurant every night. I don't hmm. uh, you know part of the reason I, I moved away from L.A. I wanted to be away from Las Vegas and my you know the gambling thing comes natural to me and my family and and it's like this is a bad habit and it could m- help me compromise decisions like if I got a gambling habit and I need to make two or three million dollars a year to support my gambling habit or whatever. Or and all these other things and our young girlfriends or things like that. <laughs> there's, there's all these decisions I've tried to calculate and make so that I won't have to sell out. But I look at someone like Dion, I was like, man, he's been blessed with all these riches and f- wins enough enough so that he could say, you know what? I'm not going to play this LGBT game. I don't have to. I'm Dion Sanders. I'm good. My family's good. But it doesn't ever seem to be enough for these guys.
2: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let Delano finish and, and then I'll, I'll answer now. It's just, you know, again, true You know, there's there's believing in God and then there's um, surrendering your life to God or to Jesus Christ, two different things. And, and even myself, I'm, you know, I'm not the, the, the uh, shining example of a, a devout Christian life. Um, I'm willing to I'm willing to sacrifice everything I have for the ability to have faith in Christ and to, to fight against uh, an anti-God culture taking over our society. But well, that's different than being a devout Christian, right? There are some holy men who deserve their credit. Um, but but when you lack faith, real faith in God, um, it's never enough. It, it's a hole that can never be filled. And that that's the great genius, you could say, of, of Christianity, Christian faith, or Abrahamic faith is that, uh, a, a, cup that, a cup that is filled is filled in the supernatural. It's not filled in the physical, in the material. And, and so even a guy like say and I saw the, house, you know, the, the the few clips that he had, he did at his house, in front of his house. The house is a, a mega mansion by any standard. And, uh, you know, that's good for him. He did well, and he made, made a lot of money. He should be able to spend it the way he wants. Um, but but that, that, is, that is a very essential question for us to answer individually across the spectrum. Of 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 wealth, uh, you know, wealth distribution. It's how much is enough? Um, and and it's a question that I think the establishment is intentionally trying to pull in a certain direction. I mean, we've become, you know, we've gotten so far from the rustic individualist, right? The things that mm. a man should need, he should be able to keep on his tool belt. Mm. Um, I mean, we're just so far away from that; it's it's hard to see a road back.
4: Go ahead, D. Yeah, I mean, you you guys hit on a a number of of key points. I think, Jason, to the last point you made, um, in terms of not selling out, um, I, I think of like the Apostle Paul when he talked about, you know, I've I'm paraphrasing, like had a lot and I've had a little and I've I've found a way to be content in Christ regardless of how much I have. And for me, like that's one of the most important things in my life is is to be content wherever I am, right? To to grow where I'm planted and to and to find peace and contentment, not even in things, but in the people that are important to me, my wife, my kids, my family, you know what I mean, my best friends. Um, And when you have those things, like you'll always be rich. And that's why if if you take, you know, people will, will go overseas, they'll do mission trips, they'll go to some remote village in Africa. Those kids always have a song. Now those kids don't have material wealth. Some of them don't even have running water. But then when you compare them to American kids, middle class, upper middle class, very wealthy, the ones who can't go to school without popping pills, or or their moms who can't, you know, go to bed at night without without drinking a glass of Chardonnay, you see that material wealth does not bring you happiness. Every I mean, the, the, the scriptures are replete with this message, but in our culture where you know we're always looking to get more and more, some people don't understand that. And and when people know that um, you are willing to, to whore yourself out, for lack of a better term, for money, they'll always keep the carrot dangling above your head. You know what I mean? And, and I think you see, th- this is the reason why it's so, so easy to get people to sell out. Um, and, and Royce talked about that self-hatred. I mean all these these black rappers or whatever, the guys who call themselves kings and God, I grew up in New York. so I, you know, I'm familiar with the five percent of nation, the you know, the nation of gods and earth. Oh, what's up, what's up, God? You know, peace queen, and all this other stuff. Yeah, that sounds good until the record is that wave a couple of dollars in front of your face, and then it's like, you know, kill this n word, you know, slap this B word. and And it's unfortunate. and I think going back to how we got here, one, again, I think we abandoned the faith of our of our forefathers. And at some point, and I would say in, in, the, in the late 60s, right, after Dr. King and, and his cohorts delivered legislation that really helped establish equal citizenship for black folk, we got the idea that our path forward is going to come through politics. And as a community, we were faced with a decision, do we continue to build our own communities, build our families, build institutions with one another, black man, black woman, moving together as one, or, or do we follow you know, liberal politics, again, represented by white liberals at that time? And as a community, we said, look, will black women divorced a black man and married a white liberal. And, and we have been living out Will and Jada's marriage on the, in a the political sense, metaphorically speaking, for the last 60 years, right? And, and many black men have been trying to reestablish themselves and and as head of their home and they act out periodically. They slap the wrong people. Right. You, 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 you're slapping somebody who's harmless while the guy who's who's betting your wife and telling you, you know, hey, go on and do something with yourself. Me, me and uh, and, you know, Keisha got a date tonight. Busy yourself. And when we're done, I'll, we'll we'll let you know when to come back. That, that's, that's what the, the black man has been reduced to outside of our circles, that, that's what it is. These guys argue for the termination of their own offspring and then turn around and call themselves kings. That, 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 n- nobody in history does that. A king lives through his, his offspring, through his legacy. So it's one of those things where you know, up is down and down is up, um, and, and, and again, we, we talk a good game about self-love, but to Royce's point. We treat perceived race hatred as a national emergency, and self hatred at best as a local issue. Jason, this morning I was reading. I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm. am In here, I was reading my my column from last September, the Richard Snip article. You remember when I sent it to you? You thought somebody was catfishing me and, and you know trying to get <laughs> me to put out some propaganda, and and I, I read it because um, I seen you know your, your column for today. And it, I, it reminded me of that line where I said, they treat cold stares from us as a much bigger problem, as hot lead from themselves. And, and that's where we are as a people, right? So if, if a white person says a crossword, all of the usual suspects, they're they coming up. they typing up, you know, Jamel Hill and Ben Crump and Stephen A. Smith. But as you said, when, when a black man gets killed, gunned down on a football field um, after a fight that was started by a, a, a potential Hall of Famer. It's the most bland messages. Oh, we need to do something about gun violence. One, one tweet, and then they move on to the next story. And until that changes in our community, it's, it's going to be hard. So I think people who care about themselves and care about their families and care about their image, you're going to have to separate. You're going to have to find a nice community, find a nice little local church, find a, a bunch of people, some of whom may look like you, some may not, who share your values. And, and to build a life with them, because the, the black mainstream, as it stands right now, the people who get invited to BET awards and NAACP, they show up to the VMAs, they get uh, uh, glowing profiles in essence, they get written about on The Root, they appear on MSNBC. Those people do not share our values. They, they would rather they would rather us shut up today so that they can go continue on exploiting the black community.
0: That's it, and that's all for us. I hear tomorrow, that means we'll see you tomorrow.
3: Waiting for the countdown Coming off the breakdown Standing in line for freedom Looking for a breakout Feeling like a standoff Nothing in line like freedom Came like a Striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just want to have freedom Sitting on a corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all deceiving We all want to be free We want freedom I just want, I wanna be I just want, I wanna
5: be I just want, I wanna be I just